You're listening to the Salt Creative Podcast, where our mission is to create and prepare disciples ready to influence the world. Welcome back to the Salt Creative Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Jaden. Sitting on my right is your co-host, Shawnee, and today we're interviewing the new lead pastor at Avondale College Church, Pastor Norman Hurlow. How are you? Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Good, but I'm doing well, Jaden. doing well, and thank you for having me here, Shawnee. All righty. So let's kick this off. Um, you are the new lead pastor at College Church. So for those of you who don't know Norm, who are you? Who am I? Wow, that's a very great question. You can go as deep or superficial as you like. (laughs) I am a husband to one wife, a father to two children, and I have three brothers who are triplets and parents who come from South Africa. So I originate from South Africa. We moved to New Zealand, finished high school there. Yep, yep. Um, Went and studied back in South Africa, came and worked in New Zealand for a number of years. And finally saw the light. (laughs) And now I'm here. (laughs) Now I am here and loving Australia. Australia has been really good to me and my family. Couldn't say it's an upgrade though. New Zealand's pretty good. You know what? Many people ask the question, which is better? (laughs) Is it South Africa? Is it New Zealand? Is it Australia? And it's like... You know when you have more people come into your life and you love them all Mm. and it's just your love grows and expands and Mm -hmm. so it's not that one is necessarily better. They're just all great. Your brothers are in New Zealand though. Two are, one's in Australia. And I'll say, like I did the first time you gave me that answer, that is a (laughs) cop-out answer. (laughs) (laughs) We're loving it here at the moment. (laughs) Alrighty. Okay, well, so... There's obviously a bit of debate between Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and which is best. So in terms of debates, pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? That is a definite yay. Pineapple belongs on pizza. It Mm -hmm. adds Mm -hmm. texture, it adds flavour, it adds a bit of bite and yeah, I just love it. Bite. Agree. I've never heard of like I agree. Pineapple <laughs> on pizza is good, but a bit of bite, like yeah, that's what it's you, like a little bit of a not. A, that's the word you reserve for like chili and spice. Pineapple is never. Is so it mean bite like as in like you're chewing something <laughs> bite or like bite as in it's no, adding. <laughs> I'm meaning pineapple is acidic, so it has a little bit of a tang to it, and when you mm. add it with pizza and heat it up a bit as you chew into. <laughs> So we can go with both, yeah. As you chew into, it has a little bit of a tang. Mm. Okay, all right, we'll roll with it. Well, you've answered correctly, so we can continue <laughs> Oh, phew. for this podcast. Today we're going to look at um, a term that we hear occasionally up the front of church. If you sit in a theology lecture, you'll hear it regularly, um, and then you'll see it pop up on your Facebook feed every now and again. Watch this apologist, and we're going to look at the idea of apologetics, the idea of defending our faith. And so I want to start at the beginning. This is something that um, you're passionate about, and Mm -hmm. the conversations we've had before are mind-blowingly complex. But let's start for all of us, so we are operating on the same term, ground zero, What is meant by the term apologetics? Well, like all academic words, apologetics come from some Greek (laughs) and Latin description. 
Apologia is the Greek word to give a defense or to give an answer for. It's a legal term. And so when someone would give a charge against someone, so he's saying, Shani, you as a New Zealander, you are... And then her apologetics or her defense of why New Zealand is so good <laughs> would effectively be apologetics. She is defending her country. Cool. So why is that? I guess we need to term it as Christian apologetics. Yep. Why is this idea, this concept important? Well, I guess it came from a lot of people as Christianity was expanding and growing around the world. A lot of people asking questions and a lot of people making accusations or charging the Christians against with something or questioning. How do you even know or understand that? Why do you even come to that rationale? Give an answer, give a response for why you believe what you believe. And so that's where the term in academic circles kind of grew and became actually part of Christian theology and Christian teaching is how do we give answers and then also from the whole um, Renaissance movement and the Age of Enlightenment, where suddenly science and reason became the primary, I guess, avenues to engage with truth, suddenly the faith world was then also confronted with this reality. Well, how do we give an answer for the whole faith construct, but in a scientific, rational world, how do we give a defense of that? How do we articulate a good apologetic. Mm, okay, so that's why it's important. Why is it important to you? Because I can remember sitting around a campfire with a bunch of uh, year 9 to 12 boys talking about the things that we're passionate about and that we're really, you know, are important to us. And one of the things that you said was apologetics. So why is it important to you? It's important to me because I grew up in a household of faith. I grew up in a Christian home. And when you grow up with something, you can easily adopt that and believe that as what is true. Um, but I also love sciences. And I loved the scientific pursuits when I was in high school. I wanted to do something in the sciences when I um, came out of school. And I love that rational process and being able to make sense and measure things to identify and understand whether they're true. And so suddenly now confronted with this faith of my home and some of the arguments and conversations in the scientific and the academic world going, hmm, what is true? What is true? And so then I started on a journey of discovery for myself. And that journey led me to a whole lot of different thinkers and people that have asked these hard questions and who love science as well and who love reason and philosophy and but who also are people of faith and give well-articulated, well-thought-through answers for why they believe what they believe. And that, I love, well, that inspired me. That challenged me to go, okay, ask the hard questions. Don't shy away from the hard questions, but do the hard work of actually pursuing good answers and answers that fit not just with what is easy, what is comfortable, what a lot of people are saying with what society or the movies are portraying, but answers that actually fit with reality in how we see the world today, how we see the world as it is, how we experience it, but also what does the Bible teach about it and what does the Bible have to say about it? So looking at all those aspects, our experience, the Word of God, but also science to glean knowledge about 
truth and what is true in our world. Mm. So once you've gathered all of this information, you've gone out there, you've figured it all out, you've done your research, you've got all this information, is there then a right or wrong way to use that information to defend your faith? Yes. I would certainly say there is um, healthy, kind, and meaningful ways to, I guess, share, defend your faith that don't come across as confronting or as abrasive or as dismissive. So part of my journey and why I'll probably quickly wrap, wrap around that question, why is it important to me? Because I started asking questions about the faith that I grew up in and can I believe everything I was taught? Some things that people would say in church just didn't make sense with the world I was experiencing and the things I was reading. So how do I marry those things? Um, and then when it comes to sharing it and how to share it, one of the things I learned in, in journeying to understanding, and it's a continual journey. I haven't arrived yet, let me put mm. it that way. I'm still loving reading, learning, growing and understanding more and more. But one of the things I do is appreciate that our ability to actually know for definite and for certain is very limited because of the limitations that we have as human beings. We're limited by, mm. we're limited by time, space. Um, we're influenced by our worldview, our family of origin, our preconceived ideas or notions about how and how the world is and how things came to be, but also our subconscious mind that we aren't even aware of, but they're deep-seated beliefs and views held that, I guess, color how we interpret things and how we make sense of things, which is what leads a lot of people to go, so then truth cannot be known at all because it's all subjective. <laughs> it's all filtered through, you know, all these, our own personal experiences and this challenge of actually knowing, can we actually know? Where I'm one of those that goes, yeah, we need to be, we need to acknowledge that, and we need to um, be aware of that as we pursue truth and understanding. But I do believe truth can be known and truth can be encountered. But understanding that it's it's really hard to be absolutely certain and absolutely definitive about that gives me grace and compassion and empathy for mm. someone else's mm. point of view and for someone else's journey and story. So I'll, it means that when I share, I, I present in a kind, convincing way and inspiring way. This is why it motivates and inspires me and not in a harsh, condemning, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about mm -hmm. kind of way. Just quickly um, expanding on that question a little bit. So I had this experience once back home and um, someone at work actually, they were like, why do you never work on Saturdays? Um, and I was like, oh, because I go to church on a Saturday. And they're like, ah, oh, so you're a Christian. And I was like, yeah, I am. And we had this like big conversation about like Christianity and Seventh-day Adventism and all this stuff. But then quickly, I don't know at what point it turned. And they're like, that's stupid. Um, first, they were just asking a lot of questions, and then it became a thing where it's like they're very much 
why would you believe that? Like, you're an idiot. It was very focused on me being the idiot rather yeah. than me being like, oh, why don't you believe in God type thing? Um, and I was like, look, like, I understand you don't believe in it type situation, but it's what I've chosen to believe in and that's okay. Is there ever a point where, like, that conversation can just be stopped? Instead of trying to defend your faith, is it ever okay to just be like, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and end it at that? If they're just being stubborn type thing, or do you still, like, defend it? Do you protest? Like, in that situation, what would you do? So, <laughs> yep, there definitely are points where you go, hey, and largely those points come when you realize someone is not actually engaging or conversing with you to gain understanding or to have a conversation, but rather just telling you yeah. their point of view, then it's like, yeah, that's not really going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But even in those situations, sometimes... I like to, instead of trying to defend, yeah. and this is the way I love approaching it most of the time, is I just ask questions. Because here's what I've discovered, and I think is partly true or mostly true. A lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about these deeper issues mm. of life. Mm. And there's... They fit into a number of categories. There's five key categories. Origin, where did we come from? Destiny, where are we going? Morality, how should we live? Then identity, who am I? And purpose, why am I? Why are we? Now, any song that is sung, any um, (laughs) academic pursuit, anything Mm -hmm. that people... That they're actually leaning into these, I guess, five key questions, and then hey, love is part of that as well. So, mm-hmm. but they're leaning into these key questions that sit behind apologetics because any answer that you give to that is you're articulating some kind of worldview or some kind of um, understanding about the nature of reality and ourself that is that helps shape what you do, who you are, how you think, and how you interact with the world. And so most of the time, people don't actually pause long enough to ask those questions and pursue answers to those questions themselves. They just accept what is told to them because it's hard to go mm. and discover and pursue those, the answers for those questions because there's so many different views out there. And so... A lot of people go, you know what? I'm just going to believe what I was taught at school. I'm just going to believe what my parents told me. And I'm going to believe the the rhetoric in society when it Mm. says those who don't believe that way, well, they're they're idiots. Whereas a few questions that just go, well, what what do you do with this? Like, what do you do with the fact that Jesus actually lived and died and his history has proved that? Mm-hmm. 2,000 years ago, died on a Roman cross and initiated the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Mm. More, than, more than a third of the world's population identify and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Messiah. And it's had the greatest impact on architecture, literature, the arts, science, mm. um, society, Everything, mm. it, it has defined our humanity and largely through Western culture, 
but that has gone around the world. It has defined our world for the last how many centuries? What do you do with that? Mm. Do you just write that off and say, no? <laughs> you, you, like, have you actually thought yeah. about mm. why is that? Where does that come from? Our whole Western um, ethics and justice system, our whole Western philosophy and Western societies are built on Christian values. Many people don't stop and mm. consider that. Why do we think it's not okay to kill babies? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not morally. Who decided that? Where do you get your morality from? If, whereas all Western and all societies decide, have decided that because of Judeo-Christian values. Where they said, no, we believe that every human being is created in the image of God. And because every human being mm. is created in the image of mm. God, they have intrinsic value. And that intrinsic value cannot be taken advantage of. Therefore, we need to protect that. And so we will set up systems and set up things to protect human life. If you look at the world before Christ came into it, that was not the case. Mm. People killed babies all the time mm. because for any random reason. Yeah. If you look at the, the world that existed before Christianity and, and well, Judeo-Christian values came along, it, it is a horrid place. Mm. And there were class structures in, in society where people were allowed to abuse others at whim. There was, no, there was nothing speaking into that and saying, hey, let's question that. But it's because of a man called Jesus Christ that lived 2,000 years ago and I believe was risen from the dead that all of that changed in our world. The Charter of Human Rights, the United Nations Charter, all the things that globally we believe are now to be respected and considered as humanity come from Judeo-Christian values. Just a, just a And I think we could probably finish then. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Just like to understand and let that sink in. Just need a moment. Um, that, there's a lot there. But to me, it's asking those questions. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Most people yeah. haven't considered that or yeah. haven't thought of that. They're just like, oh, we believe this because it's right. Well, well it's habitual. Yeah. And where did that come from? Your parents do it, so you think, oh, this is just a way mm. of life. It's yeah. what you've always known. And so it's just part of your day-to-day. -day. Mm. And so mm. the question that I often follow that up with is, okay, so what does a world without that look like? Mm. Because if you then say, hey, your faith is stupid and, and useless, mm. who believes in, okay, well, let's take that away. What does a world without morality or some kind of moral standard look like? Chaos. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that is, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> one of the things that um, I guess people do get annoyed at about people's faith and uh, Christians in particular is because... Um, over time, and you hop on YouTube, you get on Facebook, you can see it all the time, whether it be in the comment section or in the video itself. Um, Christians being arrogant, 
hypocritical, um, all that jazz. And, yeah. and you, can, you can find it so easily. You can just look up Christians debating or Christian apologists and you'll often find just atheists and a Christian and they're just screaming at each other. And it's just like, yeah. what is this? So when we see that sort of thing, one, how do we like deal with that being already lumped on us when we're having those conversations? How do we flip the script and make them go, oh, okay, maybe we aren't all like what we've seen on YouTube. Um, and so, yeah, how do we do that in a positive way? Flip that script and make it, take, take us ourselves out of that narrative. Yeah. That's a hard one. And that's something that I wrestle with as well. The best conversation killer for me when I'm interacting with the general society is when they ask me, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. Mm. Suddenly it's like, no one knows what to do and yeah. you yeah, hear yeah. crickets chirping. Yeah. But <laughs> that's what that was. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. In case you're wondering. <laughs> and so it is, and, and for me, one of the challenges is, yeah, how do, and so my goal is to try and build connections, build relationships with people that they get to know me and get to see that, ah. Oh, He's actually just a normal, mm. normal guy. He's not totally crazy. He loves playing soccer, watching sports, and eating whatever with and enjoying <laughs> and it, being part of general society. And then they go, okay, but what? And then some of those other conversations start mm. happening. Mm. I think it's also a lot of Christians do give us a bad name. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to shy away from that. They they definitely do, and it's. But one of the things, if we look at Jesus, one of the ways John the Apostle, when he's describing him when he came into the world, he says, "And we've seen the one who came from the Father, and he was full of grace mm. and truth." Mm. And it gives. <laughs> and so, to me, the question is: How, when we're trying to present Jesus, how, when we're um, defending our faith? Um, sorry, I had a, (laughs) you can't see, but there's a inverted commas defending our faith. Well, how do we do that in the way that Jesus came and lived, which was full of grace, Mm. but yet truth. Mm. Um, and so there's ways that we can, and to me, most of the time, if you don't know someone interact with them Mm -hmm. with grace, um, when, a time will come where they will ask you a perspective or they will ask you, that's the time to share mm. your truth and to share some truth. Um, the other reality as well is, as I shared, in just asking questions, um, trying to mm. be non, not direct and not mm. confrontational, but rather just going, hey, have you considered this? Have you considered this? Because um, often that moves the conversation away from like, you're this or you're that to going, hey, hmm, but how does this work? And mm. how does that work? Mm. And how do we come to this understanding? And it opens the the avenue for them to go, okay, I don't have to defend myself now, but rather we can just engage in discovery or there can be discovery together. Because in, in motivational theory, they, they identify that most people if you confront them directly on something, even though they know what you're saying is true, <laughs> they're going to entrench their position just because they don't want to be showed out or shown to be wrong. So even though mm. they know mm. 
that what you're saying is correct, they will still defend their position mm-hmm. um, till the cows come home. Mm. And so that's why it's going, hey, we're not here to try and win an argument. Rather, we're here to come and invite people into a conversation about, about God and who he is. And the other thing I like to share is many people, when you look at the life of Jesus, who came full of grace and truth, he didn't come to try and share philosophy or or articulate or win an argument, he came to make a difference. Mm. <laughs> and so after he left people's presence, there was something different about them, about the world around <laughs> them, about who they, mm. how they felt about themselves that was positive. It's a real shift of mindset. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to me as Christians, that is the better question that I want to be asking where in defending our faith, let's engage every person, every context with the question, okay, how do I make a difference? How do I make a positive impact, a positive difference? Because that, to me, is almost going to be a greater defense of who you are and what you stand for than any argument that you could win. Mm. Mm. You were talking about asking those questions. If you flip that round obviously having people ask you questions, is there like a question that gets brought up a lot? Like what would you say the most common question you have been asked and what do you tell them? Probably the most common question is how do you know for sure? Hmm. Like how do you know for certain? What do you tell them? I don't. You, You don't give an answer? No, I don't. I don't know for certain. Ah. Hmm. Oh. Because here's, here's what people often miss. And I've heard this expressed before. Um, people often think that in order to be a follower of God, you have to be absolutely certain about everything and about believing in mm-hmm. Ex- mm-hmm. everything about God and everything he taught. Whereas... Many people think the opposite of faith is doubt. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Where the truth is, the opposite of faith is certainty. Huh. Another change of mindset. Yeah. Because certainty <laughs> removes any opportunity for you extending faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to extend faith in something that you're certain about. I mean, you don't have faith because you know. Exactly. I don't need faith to know that this table is here in this room. Yeah. I need faith to know about the things that are not certain. Mm-hmm. That is where the, the realm of faith comes in. That is where I get to go, you know what? I trust that these encounters, these, the evidence that I see around me, the, the experiences that I've had, that they speak the truth about this mm-hmm. thing that I cannot be certain about, but I know and I sense and I see and I evidence intuitively to be true. And so to me, the whole realm of doubt, that's, that's not opposed to faith. That's actually one of the avenues and the, the doors, the, the realms of faith, mm-hmm. rather certainty mm-hmm. is. And often in our apologetics, 
we can come across as though we're absolutely certain. And look, mm. there, are, there are things in the conversation of faith that you can be certain about. Yeah. Jesus did live 2,000 years ago and died on a Roman cross. Mm-hmm. We have certainty from the historical, archaeological, from the um, yeah, story evidence of that around us in the world that that happened. So we can be mm-hmm. certain about that. But there's other aspects of faith that, yeah, I'm not 100% certain about. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the evidence and when I look at where things are pointing and when I see the experiences and encounters that I've had and when I see what it leads to in people's lives, mm-hmm. the difference it makes in people's lives and the difference it makes in my life, mm-hmm. then I'm like, yeah, I, I have faith in that. Mm-hmm. And so... My most common answer is, yeah, sometimes I'm not certain either. Mm. Mm. Um, Last question. Um, Someone has listened to this podcast and they've gone, yeah, okay, this is something that I like. Like I've never thought about it before. I've never really wanted to have discussions about my faith before, but I want to now. What's that first step? How do you, where do you go? What's the piece of information? What's the thing that, you know, starts that process, that journey of learning how, the information and, and the know-how of how to be, in, in air quotes, an apologist? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Mate. <laughs> so one, just be curious. I'd start there. Be curious. Ask the questions. Engage the questions. and But don't just be curious for curiosity's sake. Some people just go, oh, I'm going to throw out some questions because it's cool to sound, you know, to have cool questions or to be cynical. Mm. I'm like, no, no, no. Be curious, but then pursue that curiosity and because there are answers. There are credible explanations. Um, the whole journey... I guess, yeah, it starts with that curiosity. And then Bible is a good place to start. Luke, when he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he's actually writing it as an apologetic. To um, He addresses it to Theophilus. And he says, I'm writing this to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for, that for sure the things that you've been hearing about. And he tells them then the story about Jesus. And in it, he mentions people, places, dates, times, events, um, all these things that are markers, pinpoints mm. that point to the factuality of the, of the story of Jesus that we can even look back in history and now and go, oh, yeah, Augustus had his Caesar on that, I mean, his census mm. on that date. We know that. It's a, and Luke mentions it in his, in his gospel. Mm. So the gospel of Luke is a great place to look at, okay, is there factual evidence for the story, mm. for this narrative? Um, but then there's a lot of people who write about the space. That, as we've shared, it's a whole area of academia. <laughs> um, one of them, which is probably a easy introduction... Um, it's a book entitled I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist hmm. by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. And, uh, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. 
that was that was a great one for me when I was going on my initial early discovery because they look at a number of aspects of I guess academia around the world whether it be cosmology zoology physics um, biology um, even philosophy and some of the social sciences they look at some of the arguments against but then they look at a lot of the evidence for and they contrast them and, and really give you some tools to help shape your thinking about mm. this and help engage with some of the tensions and some of the conversations and so I found that one really really helpful and because many people point the finger at you know Christianity or, or faith religions and say well you need to prove that it's true and because it asks for an aspect of faith. It's not credible because it's not based on, on fact and, and, and science. Whereas a lot of what we believe in the world can't actually be tested and proven by science. Empirical science is the testing observable, measurable and testable space of science. But so much about our world and who we are and how we existing so the whole question of origin mm. no one can reproduce or test in a test tube or recreate in a lab or no one can go back and look at that in time mm. so even whatever belief you have about origin or whatever it is a philosophical hmm. premise that you are then journeying and looking at the evidence for mm. whether it be creation whether it be evolution whether it be something in between you're starting your dialogue and your investigation with a philosophical premise we cannot go back in time and recreate that test that mm. it is not mm. empirical science and so understanding that goes okay it moves the conversation from being oh but the way you're operating is is non-scientific no no there's different areas of science that are um, testable and provable but then there's also theoretical science mm. and the full philosophical science let's understand where the conversation is and then engage mm. with it in the right terms and mm. so yeah just those kind of understandings yeah. have been really yeah. helpful and given me confidence in going okay there is actually rational credible and reasonable explanations for what we see in the Bible and why I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the hope for this world. Well, I want to thank you for giving us your time. Mm -hmm. If you're a student at Avondale College and they want to come talk to you, where do they find you? How's the best way to contact you? I'm generally here in my office, which is... Just outside, I guess, looks like the moon landing space at the moment, <laughs> the construction space. Um, but yeah, in the church building um, next to the, the drinking cooler as you come in, offices on the right, find me in there, or email norman.herlo at avondale.edu. Yeah, well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. If you've enjoyed this episode, um, let us know. Come see us around or leave a rating or a comment. Subscribe. 
I just kick the table. It all helps. Um, and we thank you for listening. But until next time, we encourage you to live your life as the light on the top of the hill and as the salt on the earth. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Salt Creative Podcast. As always, rate, review and subscribe. It all helps. And if you see us around, shout out. We'd love to connect with you. We'll be here again next week. We hope you'll find us again. Bye.